Welcome to the Base Path Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's in-studio guest is the head coach of one of the ISL teams in Massachusetts, Fair Academy's James Pierce, who finished his first season as head coach in 2023. James, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, so what was that like? I know you were a longtime assistant under Rick Forrester. Correct. And so what was it like to take over as head coach? What, what, what surprised you the most, I guess, about that first year as head coach? Just just the whole recruiting process and trying to get kids in, it, it, it's really tough. The ISL, it, it's a great league. The schools aren't aren't too cheap to <laughs> to send your kid to. So that's the hardest part. But but it's so easy coaching these these ISL kids, and especially the kids out there. The student-athletes are awesome to be around, uh, a lot of fun. They bring a lot of energy every day, uh, playing six days a week. They're committed, and uh, I just love you know being around the kids. Yeah, it's a motivated group at the prep level because a lot of times they're going so that they're going to thrive both academically and on the baseball field and sometimes in multiple sports. Where So how does that recruiting process work for you? Are you able – I mean, I would assume you probably wait to hear from them and then you kind of – do the tours and all that type of stuff? Yeah. So last year I, I started getting a lot of emails from, from potential student athletes who were interested in the school and a lot of back and forth. And I'd go meet them. I have one-on-one interviews with them, with their parents and just get to know them. Uh, I also do some coaching outside of their, the US nine prospects that helps a lot. So I've been coached with them for about seven years now. So a lot of those kids, I'm, I'm trying to get them over to there, not just because they're good baseball players, but because they're good kids and, and I want them to be a part of that their community. So that helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's the process in terms of once they know, Hey, there's my first choice. There's an application process, financial aid, all, t- all different stuff like that. How does that kind of play out? What's the timeline for that? So applications are due in early January with decisions being sent out. I believe it's March 10th is usually the date they try to get the decisions out to and that all goes through the admissions and business office with respect to the financial aid piece mm-hmm. and what the school can offer those families for a financial aid package. Now, is there an opportunity to earn like an athletic scholarship or is it all need-based? Need-based for, for Thayer Academy and, and I believe throughout the ISL. Oh, okay. And now once you're, once the season started and you're a first year coach, what was that like and being the, the primary voice to the kids and how did you put your stamp on the, on the program? Yeah, so the first thing I wanted to do was bring back our Florida spring trip. I think that's something that the kids really look forward to. Uh, COVID kind of shut that down some years ago under Coach Forrest there. That was the first thing I talked to our new athletic director about when I took over. I had been on it as an assistant coach a bunch, and I thought it was a great time down there. We go down to Fort Pierce. We play for four or five days. We're on the on the field two times a day, whether it's practicing games or or, or a doubleheader. This year, last year, we we went back down for the first time, and as a head coach, it was a little nerve wracking being being the one in charge and setting everything up, getting all the payments, the res- reservations down there, our schedule set up. But it went off great. Kids had a lot of fun. We had a night game, which the the seniors loved. Being there last last year in high school, it was their first Florida trip due to the pandemic. So it was great to have them play a night game down there against some pretty good competition. Another night we went out like mini golf. I set up a mini golf tournament where each room in the hotel was their own team and, and the winning team got, got a gift card. So they liked that and I competed in that. But it was great. We went down for four or five days. My assistant coaches, who are awesome, came down with me. We all drove the vans and the kids had a lot of fun. So that was the first thing I wanted to do was set that back up, the annual trip. We'll be going down again this, this March. And then we come back and we have about a week or two of tryouts and practice. 
and then we're we're full full blown into the season right away. Yeah, it's a good team building opportunity for sure. Those trips you heard so many prep coaches last year kind of get back to doing it and say how important that was to really kind of gel before you come back up here and start playing two games, three games a week. And you're kind of, you don't have as much practice time. You don't have as much time uh, for team bonding. You're more kind of reactive once the season starts. What are the, from what you learned in the first year, is there anything you think you'll do differently the second time around? It sure is tough to win in that league. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And on any given day, anyone can beat anyone. Uh, Belmont Hill won it last year. We ended up beating them uh, for their only league loss the first game of the year. And then we only ended up with four wins for the rest of the year. So it's like any any given Wednesday or Saturday, you can lose to anyone in the league. So that's the toughest thing. It, it, it's hard to win in this league with, with all the competition out there and all the talent that the league has. It, it's it's a great, great motivation for me to try to get the players we need to compete at a high level and do it year in, year out. Yeah. And you played in the ISL. You went to Thera Academy. So you and you had a big career there. I've wondered... How did it, how does it change? Like, is there more, is the ISL has always seemed like it's been the kind of pinnacle of prep school, school baseball in New England. Over the last few years, there's been more like Phillips Andover obviously was on top for a few years there. Worcester Academy had a really good team last year. Dexter's been really solid the last few years. Is it more evenly spread across New England in terms of talent, whereas it used to be just ISL, or is the ISL much more, I guess, high-end talent than it used to be? How does it compare to your playing days? I think there's a lot more talent across the board in, in Massachusetts and New England overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some, some great arms out there. Uh, you mentioned Philip Andover. They've been great. Coach Donato at Dexter has been doing an awesome job over there. I think there's just more and more talent with the private program starting up. More kids are playing year-round. Back when I was in high school, I'd, I'd go visit some college co- coaches in Florida, some small D2 schools, and they, they told me, every single one of them to a man would tell me, we love the kids from New England because they, they, they haven't plateaued. Right. They're not playing year-round back then, whereas nowadays they're playing year-round, and, and I think kids are just taking off a lot sooner and developing a lot quicker than they were back when I was playing. Yeah, you had a guy on your team last year. Charlie Denemy was a senior last year, wasn't he? Correct. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he's at Michigan. He is, and he, he did. He had a great fall from from everything I've I've heard, and he, he was on the end of the year fall roster. So he's doing great out there. Charlie Charlie's a horse, six four, six five, throwing ninety to ninety two right handed pitcher, and and two different people on and off the field. Off the field, he's always smiling, laughing, having a good time. On the field, he he's just a monster out there. He he's so deadpan, so dead serious. He was great. He came off Tommy John early on in his high school career, so. Second half of last year, he was finally getting back to his normal self and I think feeling really confident about his game. And, and he's doing great at Michigan. Just a great kid to coach. Yeah, I thought of you a few times during the season. I thought of you and Chris Powers was at Phillips Andover because yeah. it's like he had Thomas White. You had Charlie Denemy coming off Tommy John. And it's like these first year coaches, like you couldn't have any more responsibility than trying to care for and keep this guy healthy, like going into Michigan. Obviously, he's going to have huge outings throughout his baseball career. What did you feel a lot of pressure to like, Hey, I got to be careful here. We got to make sure he's healthy, but he's all, he's also a senior. We got to ride him a little bit. Yeah. I didn't feel too much pressure just, just because I understand that piece of the piece of coaching. Of course I want to win, but I don't want to put any of my players in, in any kind of safety risk and, and risk damaging their arms or any, any part of their, their bodies and, and their chances of playing in college. So I didn't feel much pressure just because I understand that. I feel like I understand that 
piece of coaching very well. And we're always keeping an eye on, I have a great assistant coach slash pitching coach and Brian Tangi, who, who is right on board with me. We both coach other prospects together and at Thier, obviously. So we, we work together and make sure Charlie and, and all of our pitchers weren't throwing too much. We had them on a good routine, a good, good throwing program to make sure they were strong enough to pitch, but also we're not sending the kids out to throw 130 pitches in an inning. I mean, in an, in a game. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Now in terms of ISL talent, as you look across the league, and sometimes it's hard to even know because so many teams are getting transfers in or even freshmen who can almost contribute right away. Now, not that a lot of them do, but there are always a couple across the ISL who can play right away. Well, who do you think stacks up as some of the teams to beat this year? Or like you said, it's always, it, every team is tough. <laughs> yeah. Every team certainly is tough. Uh, I think it's hard to, to really not, have Belmont Hill at the top of your list when you're ranking teams. I won it last year. They lost only one game in the regular season. They're always very good. Milton's very good. Milton Academy, I, I should say. And Nobles, Coach Mario over there at Nobles does a great job. So those three teams are always are, are always up there at the top of the list. Lawrence Academy on the other side. Hmm. They're always strong. They're always tough, no matter what their record is. So those four teams, I think I'd put at the top as of right now. And Governors with uh, Coach Cranfin over there, he always has some arms and has that team ready to go to. Yeah, they have a few D1 commits this year on their roster. I was, who did you met? You just mentioned somebody that made me think. They said Belmont Hill. Nobles. Nobles. Milton Academy. Yeah, Milton Academy, new coach. Yeah. Brendan Morrissey. What did you think of that move for him? I thought it was interesting. I've coached some kids from the US 9 prospects that went through Milton High, and, and that program has been so good for so long. I have no idea what his thinking was in, in making that decision. I'm sure it was a tough one for him, but I'm sure he's going to do great in the ISL. I know him. I don't know him personally, but I know him just from the reputation and the program that he's that he's had over there at Milton. He's going to be a great addition to the ISL, and, and I'm excited to meet him. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they do. He's had so much success uh, with Milton High, two uh, state championships in a row. That was It was a great stretch at his alma mater, which is, and you're at your alma mater too. Is that is that a difficult thing to kind of, um, like, are you reaching out to alumni and trying to bring them into the into the program anymore? Or is it, you kind of keep it separate? No, I, I definitely have reached out to alumni. Our JV head coach is Bill O'Dwyer, who's also the varsity girls basketball coach. He's a, he's a head of math department there. We actually played two years of fair baseball together and one year of Braintree Legion. He graduated the year before me. He was the shortstop. I was our third baseman for two years. I tried to convince him to come up and, and do uh, coach with me at the varsity level, but he didn't want to do back-to-back varsity sports, so I don't blame him for that. But that's a great asset for us, having a JV coach that thinks along the same lines I do, had, had similar coaching, and someone I can really rely on. As far as alumni, a lot of them have reached out to me and just said congratulations and all that, and some of them stopped by for some games last year. So it's always great to see. Thier has such a great community and, and such great alumni relations that even when I was an assistant coach, alumni were coming back and watching games and saying hi and stuff. So it's it's I, I really enjoy coaching at Thier, and I, I just talked to a parent of a student athlete I'm hoping applies to Thier, and he asked me, are, are you planning on leaving Thier anytime soon? And I told him uh, as as flat as I could, I said, if I'm coaching high school baseball, it's going to be at Thier Academy. And I, I, I truly love it. I love being there every day in the springtime or in the winter when I was helping out coaching winter sports. Uh, there's no place else I'd rather be coaching. That's great. And where were you? There was some movement last year on maybe the ISL having a postseason how do you feel about that? Obviously, you didn't have one as a player, and you didn't have one last year, uh, but they, they did say maybe they'd look at it again 2024, 2025, somewhere in there. How do you feel about that? 
I think it's great. I think it, it just opens up the opportunity, especially for recruiting. Take take having an actual playoff out of it. Uh, recruiting for our young ISL players is great because that will give a chance for some college coaches that maybe are are done with their season to come see some some truly great talent play live on the field, as opposed to just doing workouts or, or seeing them at tournaments in the summer. So that I think that's a great opportunity, and there are rumors around going around that we will have some sort of playoff this year with a couple of divisions, but. Uh, I don't think anything's been announced yet, but we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, that would be great. And you're right. I mean, the other leagues have it, like Phillips Andover, Dexter, and Worcester Academy all. And I think, what was it? Deerfield was the other. They all had a tournament last year in the WNEPBL. Or no, they're the Central. They're, they're a CNEPBL. But anyway, there are some other leagues that do have them. Uh, the ISL, I guess the pushback was always like guys are leaving campus around Memorial Day every year, so it's tough to squeeze it in. But it would be fun. There was an ISL underclass game last year in the middle of June. Uh, what did you think of that game? How did that go for your guys? I loved it. It, yeah. it was awesome. This this is something that James Crampton from Governors, Rob Murray, and myself all kind of talked about, and, and Coach Murray and Coach Crampton really kind of took the lead on it with setting things up, and I was kind of in the background helping out. But I thought it was great. The kids got to work out on the field. It was supposed to be at Harvard. It rained. BC called. I think it was uh, Coach Murray said, why don't you use our facility? We got to use their their gorgeous facility over there at BC. We got the, in, the indoor cage and then obviously their outdoor facilities. We had, and this was kind of done last minute, we had about 20, 25 college coaches that came. Wow, and and it's a no brainer for us for for a league, because every college that comes is looking at kids that are academically close to eligible for your team. Whereas you can go to say a complex like Northborough, watch three different games on three different fields. Like I really like this kid, and then you go and, and his grade point average is, is not near the standard for that school. Right. So this underclassman all star game is, is a no brainer for us and and for our ISL student athletes. I think it it opens up so many doors for them. And I think it's something that's going to be be a great success uh, each year. Now, as we look at the uh, Thayer Academy roster going into 2024, uh, we mentioned Charlie Denemy is off to Michigan. What, what do you think the rotation or the, the pitching staff will look like coming up this year? So we have three seniors that pitched for us a little bit last year in relief, relief roles that I think are really going to challenge to, to be our one and two ISL starters. And then that third guy will be our first guy out of the pen in, in league games. We also have some underclassmen that, that look pretty good. Uh, a couple of juniors that can throw that didn't get much time last year in games. But what we do is we have them throw live in practice just so they don't lose the feel for being on the mound and, and getting some live reps and live innings pitched. So I'm looking forward to it. The seniors, the three seniors that I'm expecting to compete for starting roles are all are incredibly competitive and throw strikes and throw pretty hard. Uh, a couple of guys that are committed already, one especially is uh, committed to Trinity as a pitcher. Uh, he's one of our U.S. 9 prospect guys that came over as a junior last year, had some pretty good success for us in his first year in ISL. So I'm looking forward to to seeing those guys step up as seniors and, and really get it's their time to shine. And I know they're going to take every opportunity to do so. Nice. And what about, do you have any roster battles or starting position battles in your lineup, everyday lineup? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a few infielders that got playing time, regular playing time last year. Our first baseman's a smooth left-handed throwing first baseman, right-handed bat. If we had one more all ISL selection, he would have been it. He hit 293 for us, this kid, Drew Schneider. He's also our junior uh, co-captain as a junior, voted on by the team. 
outfielders, we have some corner spots that there's going to be some good battles between some juniors and uh, some rising eighth graders and new ninth graders that came in that I, that I really like some athletic kids that I think will push some of the older kids for that starting spot. And you were a three-year starter at there. You were in multiple ISL All-League honors. How was it? And, and you led the team to a share of a 2003 ISL title. What do you remember about those teams that like you're kind of trying to replicate here as a coach? Well, Coach Badger back then, Don Badger was my coach, and he, he was great for me. He kind of let me do my thing, let me be an athlete. I didn't know I was going to be a baseball player until probably my junior year. Oh. I played hockey. I played football. I thought those were my other sports and junior year came and I was like, Oh, I, I like baseball. And, and coach Badger was a big part of that. He's very laid back, but super competitive too. He had this quiet, confident, competitive streak to him. And that's something that I want our teams to have quiet confidence, but, but incredibly competitive and be tough to play against. I think the second half of last year, we started to do that. Even when we got down, we come back and battle and, and, and make it a game. So what I'm looking to replicate is being hard to play against and playing the game the right way and try to scrap out as many wins as, as we can. Yeah, it's funny. You don't even, you mentioned guys are playing baseball now more often a year round, and you rarely hear that story anymore, anymore where there's somebody playing three sports, didn't even know that they wanted to play college baseball until their junior year. Is, you think, do you think that's a bad thing that uh, now guys are committing as sophomores or it's so one sport oriented? Uh, I think that's a personal decision. And, and come high school, uh, I, I don't mind if guys want to focus on one sport. It's it's earlier than that, I think, is a little much. But now get, nowadays, like I said, with all the private programs, you're practicing two or, two or three times a week throughout the, the winter. Guys can focus on baseball a lot more as opposed to when I was playing in high school in the early 2000s. There weren't many private programs around. There were a lot of us that were multi-sport athletes at there. And, and even now, we still have multi-sport athletes. I think of our eight seniors we have six multi-sport athletes so that's good and i and i like that yeah. I, I think that's good for development i think it's good for kids to play as many sports as they can but if they choose to go you know, stick to one sport throughout the year through high school then then that's good for them too I, I think it comes down to a personal decision yeah 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 i think it's good to play different roles for different sports like you're probably going to be one of the best guys on the baseball team if you end up playing in college but sometimes you play hockey, you're on a third line, you're just trying to bring energy and it's good to kind of, cause you might, that might be your role when you're playing college baseball is all of a sudden you're sitting on the bench. You're just trying to provide energy coming off the bench. So I think the multiple sports gets you a little bit more prepared for college baseball in terms of embracing ups and downs and things like that. Cause it can be always be all positive at the, at the high school level when you're, when you're a college baseball player. And then you went off and played uh, college baseball at Thomas College in Maine, where you were a four-year starter. What was your recruiting process like? Is it was it? It was probably way different than it would have been if it was this year, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I actually started at uh, Franklin Pierce. I got oh, you did okay. So I I did one semester at Franklin Pierce. Realized that it was going to take me a while to play. Yeah. And something I didn't realize throughout the recruiting process was like I. I didn't think of not playing for two, three years. Yeah. And that was a big thing, a big eye opener for me at Franklin Pierce after the tryout. Coach King at the time, who was there, recruited a bunch of freshmen as he has to as a college coach, and 30 freshmen show up and, like, yeah, Coach King said, I, I come and I have a chance to play right away. And all he, the freshmen he, are saying that. All the freshmen are saying <laughs> okay. that. And so at the time, they were, they were fourth in the nation, I believe, for D2. So I was kind of blinded by that. And so when that wasn't going to work out, and I knew it wasn't going to work out for me personally, I reached out to actually Coach King at Thomas College, Greg King, who oh, yeah. just retired because he had recruited me in high school, but I didn't even apply there out of high school. 
I was kind of set on Franklin Pierce. I reached out to him. I was like, hey, I'd love to come up, take a look around the school and talk to you about the baseball program, the sports management program, and, and what the school's all about. And he said, great. Went up, recruited, had a tour, met with Coach King. My father came up with me. We drove up. It's about three hours north, three and a half hours north of Boston. And I just liked the fit. It was a small school, which I wanted. I had sports management, and I had a chance to play right away, which which I wanted. For me personally, I needed that just to make sure I was staying on the right track. I was I had structure, weightlifting program, school, study hall, all that stuff I needed, which yeah. I didn't think of probably six months before whenever I decided to go to Franklin Pierce. Well, I guess you didn't know that it was going to take two or three years to get on the field. Right. <laughs> you were probably <laughs> thinking it would happen right away. And so you played professionally after college too, didn't you? Yeah. In 2007, I went over to Israel and played in the inaugural baseball, Israel Baseball League. Oh, wow. And what was that experience like? Oh, it was great. We were playing six days a week, almost all night games, except for Saturday. We played at 11 and 12. So any fans that wanted to observe Shabbat, they could uh, still watch the game and get home in time to observe the holiday uh, or the Sabbath. Right. And uh, it was great. I was over there for two months, had a lot of fun. We, We did great. We finished first in the league in the regular season, then ended up winning the championship. It was a lot of fun. You know, I never would have went to Israel other than to play baseball at the time. So it was a great opportunity for me. I had a lot of fun, met a lot of good people, a lot of friends that I still stay in touch with uh, back here. And uh, it was an awesome experience. Nice. And then you played 11 seasons in the Boston Park League, which a lot of our audience is familiar with. We have a lot of former Boston Park League players who are listeners now to the podcast. Um, wh- wh- when did you decide to give that up? Oh, 11 years is a long time to be in there. Was it like, was there something that you you just ran out of time or were you like, I can't do it anymore physically? Mentally, I could. Physically, I'm not sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> but no, my da- my daughter was born in 2016 and I kind of wanted to obviously spend more time around the house and with my wife and stuff. So that seemed like a good a good stopping point for me. We had won a couple championships. I had a lot of fun. Still keep in touch with a lot of those guys. Try to play golf with them once or twice a summer. It was just time. I wanted to golf more and spend time with my family. Yeah, you're out like four or five nights a week when you're playing in the Boston Park League. So my wife still reminds me of all the times I had to be out there. Yeah, and the post game, hanging out with the guys. She's like, yeah, maybe it's time to shut it down now that we're having a kid. Right. Yeah. You owe her a few nights, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you said you're up for the three up, three down segment where we're just doing general interest baseball stuff with our producer David Yaz. Absolutely. All right, David, let's do it. Three up, three down. All right, gentlemen, welcome to Three Up, Three Down, where, as Dan pointed out, I throw out three questions. Our panel is completely unprepared for this, right, guys? Absolutely. Were you stealing my signals, Dan? I thought I saw. Uh, I've been preparing for this my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jim, you are the guest. You get to go first. Simple question. What's your favorite baseball drill? My favorite baseball drill as a coach is probably the slalom drill. We have three or four cones set up. Our middle, especially our middle infielders, have to shuffle through them, break down the fundamentals of uh, field and ground ball, and that's my favorite one because it breaks down the mechanics step by step. I played in high school. In fact, for the aforementioned Milton and me, um, I don't think I got any at bats senior year. I wasn't very good. <laughs> I don't remember that drill. So you're 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 fielding, you're running between cones and fielding a ball, or so the cones are about two feet apart. Infielders have to shuffle. Through the, through the cones, and then at the end of the cones, they break down, and a coach rolls them a ball, okay. and then you can add fungos later to it. But that's, a, that's one that I've become, that's become a fan favorite of mine for the past couple of years. It, it really breaks every step down, hmm. and we focus on having your back flat, your glove out, 
nose down so I can see the, the top of your hat. Good one. Dan, how about you? I, I used to just like taking basic infield. I, I used to play shortstop and just like taking infield before the game. And then even like younger than that, I like, I loved playing base runners, which isn't really a drill, but it's kind of a baseball oriented game, but that was fun too. Like rundown, like, yeah, 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 it, yeah you got pickle. two bases. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Everybody loved that one for some reason. So simple. All right. Second question, Dan, you can go first. Okay. What's the loudest you've ever heard a baseball crowd? A crowd. Oh, man. I'm going to, it's got to be at Fenway. In 2004, I had playoff tickets in the Yankee series, but I'm trying to think what game it was. It wasn't at a good point in the series. It was when they were down at least two. So, you, yeah. so you went to one of the first. Yeah. Like it was, it was three, la- maybe. Yeah. It might've been game three. It was loud until the game started and then it kind of got quiet. <laughs> but like the, before the first pitch was really loud. I, I do remember I wasn't at this game, but a friend of mine called me from the game because she wanted me to hear what the crowd was chanting. And now I'm going back to, I want to say, 99 when the Red Sox played the Yankees in the ALCS. And I think we lost four games to one. It wasn't really close. But the one game we won, Roger Clemens was the losing pitcher and just got shelled at Fenway for the Yankees. And the crowd was shouting, where is Roger in the shower? Right. (laughs) What's interesting, I almost this year, I still have a lot of friends in the Philadelphia area. And when the Phillies had were up 3-2 on Arizona in the NLCS, we started texting and it was like, Hey, if they go to the world series, we got to go to one of these games. Cause the home atmosphere was just crazy. Yeah. It has been for the last two postseasons in Philadelphia. And then they ended up losing the last two games. So that might've <laughs> unseated the Red Sox, but my condolence, I forgot to offer my condolences to your <laughs> yeah. Phillies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all people could talk about was the home field advantage. And then they lost both the games. Oh, well. All right. Final question, Jim. You get Wait, to, he didn't. Oh, he, he I'm didn't sorry. Do yeah. Jeez, I'm oh, I have a glow on my. Go ahead. I have uh, loudest a crowd. Too. Loudest crowd. Yeah. I'm blanking on the year. I'm I'm terrible with dates for everything. But the David Ortiz comeback, home run into the bullpen with a with a oh, the security guard, yeah. security guards <laughs> yeah. putting his hands up. I was at that game and nice. I got last minute tickets. It was I believe that was the the day. Brady won a, a walk-off pass against the Saints. Yep. And we're listening to that game as we're driving in to Fenway. I got $75 tickets, last row in the grandstand right behind the plate. I don't know how I I found them, wow. but that home run was wild. That was, uh, that yeah. was the loudest in, in by far. That'll pop up still like on Twitter. You'll see like 18 years ago today, and you'll see that you'll, they'll show the that play was, again. I think that was 2013, right? Was the, it 2013? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'll have to, now uh, I'm, my son has a photo with the cop. <laughs> with his arms stretched, that the guy must have taken a million photos afterwards with his arms hoisted in the air. And I think, I think that, yeah, I think it's definitely 2013. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that Kem- about right. Kimbrell Tompkins cut the touchdown That's pass right. for Brady. That's right. We were <laughs> oh, in the car going nuts. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, two two unbelievable finishes. So that's a great one. All right, question number three, and Jim, you get, you get to go first for this one. Other than the green monster, what is your favorite ballpark quirk or distinguishing figure? So this could include short porches, anything involving a dome, or any silly thing that happens after someone hits a home run. I think a classic is Wrigley's Ivy sure. on the wall. I think the first baseball team I was on in Little League were the Cubs, so I, I, I always liked them growing up just because of that. And for me, it's the, the Ivy on the wall in, in Wrigley Stadium. Yeah, I read a story once. I forget who it was. The guy who came up with the idea for that. And it's 
completely unique. No other ballpark has anything like it, and no one would ever want to get rid of it because it's so lovable, even when the ball gets stuck in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dan, your thoughts? I'm thinking of the, is it Arizona where they have a hot tub in like left field or something? I I don't even really like that. Pool and a hot tub. What about during the Bo Jackson era, Kansas City Royals, they had like a waterfall in center field. Fountains. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fountains and waterfalls. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that was, would be my favorite. That, do they still have that? No, I'm trying to think. They're not in a new stadium. I think they have a new stadium. Can't see a new stadium? We should know this. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the worst ballpark quirk was, which, I went. I visited this place, but only as a tourist. There wasn't a game going on because it was the old Olympic Stadium in Montreal. I don't know if you guys know this, but they they attempted to make the first retractable dome, and it it never worked, not once. And so it ended <laughs> up being a, a dome, a completely open stadium with this like tarp thing that was supposed to be. It, it had just been discarded to the side. And the weird thing about it is the device that the plan was that this tower. That if you picture sort of like a leaning tower of Pisa kind of thing, you could you could go up in this tower, and for years later you could go to this museum. But and and the, the tower at the top was where the the cables came down to retract this this roof or or back and forth. And again, it never worked. But for years later, they had a museum there. You could go to the top, and we went when we were in Montreal. It's, but it's just a monument to their futility for screwing this up. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Just are you guys pro dome, retractable dome, Jim? Do you hate the idea of that or? No? I don't hate it. I think it's practical, especially yeah. here in the Northeast. If you can do it, go ahead and do it. I prefer natural, natural grass, natural open air. But what it is, what it is. You can't fight the weather, and if you can do it, and, and you want to do it, all yeah. For there it. was there was talk of the Patriots getting one at some point, but. That moment has long passed. I like I like playing in the elements, especially football. Like yeah, watching football. Patriots games in the snow is great. I like going to a baseball game and sitting outside and kind of soaking in the yeah. in the summer, especially. But I understand like Tampa Bay, it's going to rain. You're going to have 50 rainouts a year if you don't have a dome. So in some places, it's necessary. I before I had ever been to a dome stadium, a friend of mine said it's terrible. It's it's just like high lie. And I didn't know what he meant, but then I went, I was in Tampa once I went to the trop and it is sort of miserable in there. It, it, it just, it doesn't have a baseball feel. The crack of the bat just sounds different, like echoing against metal everywhere. So it feels I, dark too. Whenever yeah, you see games there on yeah. TV, you're like, oh, they, they should get some more lighting in there or something. Yeah. I've been in there, not for a baseball game for, I've, uh, in-laws that live down there we took our kid my daughter down there for some winter wonderland in in the trot hmm. and i'm looking around i go i can't believe they play baseball in this <laughs> yeah. it's unbelievable yeah it is dark like you said yeah i can't that one i i really don't love but yeah you have to do it down there but, well yeah. the ballpark in texas has like uh it's like open air but it's covered right yeah am i right about that yeah that, uh, that maybe they've got it right seattle too i believe oh yeah yeah okay yeah all right, well, you both have successfully negotiated three up, three down. The crowd is on their feet. Congratulations. And back to you, Dan, to wrap things up. Thank you. And thanks to James Pierce for joining us for the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz, the Base Path, Beth, the, the Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.